Howdy, everybody. It's time for another podcast of Thinking Beyond, Conversations with Strategic Thinkers. And I'm your host, David Flint. And across the internet is your co-host, Joan Quintana. Howdy, Joan. Howdy, David. So glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, So it's another uh, internet recording because we're still underneath the COVID lockdown. But um, in spite of that, I anticipate that we're going to have a good conversation today. Who is on the podcast? We are going to be listening in as you visit with Leslie Rule, Dr. Leslie Rule. She is at the Bush School at Texas A&M University. She is a really interesting individual. So Leslie now works um, in the sort of at the intersection of of policy, um, development policy, and science and ecology, which is, makes her a really unique person. And she has traveled the world working in um, developing places in some of the hardest places in the world. So it's going to be really interesting to hear your conversation with her about the work that she's doing, how she's creating value in the world, and even how she's using V-Roll. Yeah, I've known Leslie for several years here at Texas A&M, and she is really interesting. So yeah, I bet this is going to be a good conversation. All right, well, let's get started. Okay. Howdy, Leslie. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, David? I'm doing okay. Even though we're still in this crazy pandemic, shutdown, quarantine, whatever it is. <laughs> it's definitely a new world right now. Yeah, it feels like a new world. I'm not sure I'm liking it too much, but okay, that's just the way it is. <laughs> I think there's some silver linings out there. You just have to you have to be a little bit more inner focused and, and more calm on things, I think. Yeah. And I, I set up my house office here so that I can look out the window and see trees and grass and basically get outside the house without being outside the house, which is very helpful. Oh, I always need my outside time. I could not survive without a little bit of trees and air and the just the birds singing, watching all the spring happen in Texas. Yeah. Very good for the soul. Yes, it is. Um, well, we could talk about the pandemic and being housebound <laughs> for a long time, but I, I actually think we should probably move on and let whoever is listening to this podcast know a little bit more about Dr. Leslie Rule. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> so I've known you several years, so I, I know a few things, but go ahead and, and share um, your background and what you do and, and sort of the highlights of what has brought you to where you are today. Hmm. This is always such a hard question to answer. <laughs> um, yeah, summarize your life in 25 <laughs> words. <of that. laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've had a very circuitous route. Um, I, was, I was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa, uh, in Ghana, on the border of Burkina Faso, and that really has had a big influence on how I've looked at the world since then, what my goals are for doing good in the world, Mm -hmm. um, and how to do good in the world. 
Um, so after I did my Peace Corps experience, it was helping do a protected area for hippopotamus that was all managed by local tribal authority and looking at ecotourism as a way of supporting the people while also um, trying to do the best that they can to make money off of their natural resources that was in a renewable way. Uh, one of the things that I really learned there is that I just didn't feel like there was enough science being put into all these decisions we were making. And so I wanted to go back and get my PhD in ecology. So I ended up going and doing that. I went to University of Georgia and I had all these amazing um, experiences along the way. Uh, had the chance to work down in Panama at the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute. I worked at the Savannah River Ecology Laboratory in South Carolina. And uh, I actually ended up doing my final dissertation work on a little archipelago off the northern coast of Honduras uh, in these islands called Cayos Cochinos, or Hog Islands. Hmm. Uh, and uh, then from that experience, I ended up making connections at Texas A&M, came to Ooh. Texas A&M. Yes, of course. <laughs> and uh, worked for uh, the, uh, a National Science Foundation funded project that was really looking at conservation from uh, multiple perspectives. It was called the Applied Biodiversity Science Program. From there, I went to a USAID funded program over in, so I, my first department was wildlife. Then I moved to agricultural economics and worked for a USAID funded project called the Center on Conflict and Development um, and started doing some more work back in Africa. So I went, for, I went to Africa, then I went to like Central America, and then I went back to Africa, had done some projects. My first job out of undergrad was working at the Baltimore Zoo, made friends with some friends, uh, with the vet there who had connections with the Mountain Gorilla Project, did a little bit of that in Peace Corps. And then when I started the Center on Conflict and Development, went back to Congo and Rwanda and Uganda and started working again, doing conservation projects and One Health and uh, working with communities again. Um, but now I'm at the Bush School because, you know, these are all soft money things. So now I'm at the Bush School, but still continuing the work I did at, uh, in Congo and Rwanda and, and Uganda, um, mm -hmm. but doing it with a little bit more of a policy approach. So I have my PhD in ecology, working in a policy school, teaching a bunch of classes where I try and bring policy students and uh, scientists together to understand the language that they each are speaking and understand how decisions are made on both sides of the um, perspectives, both science and policy. Right. And the, the project that you're working on right now focuses on the Ebola uh, breakout there, right? Well, and that one is like a little offshoot of a bigger project I started um, trying to figure out how to help communities that are living outside of Virunga National Park, which is famous for its mountain gorillas, uh, trying to find ways that though they can't have ecotourism, how can you still benefit from your natural resources while keeping them you know, renewable? Um, and maybe renewable, I should use a different way, uh, word in this audience, uh, but sustainable. So like sustainable development. How do you live outside of a national park don't take resources from the park, but gain all the benefits of living next to this really amazing uh, place. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a 
pretty amazing story, uh, an amazing path that you followed. And I, I've heard you talk in the past about all of your, well, probably not all, but many of your travels over into Africa and the Congo and Rwanda and everything. And it's always fascinated me. I mean, you, you go to places that, well, you're kind of not supposed to go, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just depends on who you're talking to. <laughs> uh, but you know, you go into areas where there's there's serious trouble. You know, it, trouble in terms of economics, health, violence, all of the above. Right. Um, that's always fascinated me. You know, you as a <laughs> as an intrepid explorer from the United States, sort of wandering over into these places. I mean, how do you how do you pull that off? <laughs> Well, I, everyone's working in the easy places. I mean, the places that need the help, you know, that need the greatest help are not the easy places to work in. And so, you know, I, I kind of started out wanting to work with mountain gorillas. Everybody wanted to work with mountain gorillas. So then I ended up doing my dissertation work on spiny tailed iguanas. Nobody wanted to work on that. Kind of the same thing. <laughs> well, you know, that's, that's very interesting because, well, I know that you're f very familiar with the V-Real framework, you know, but a big emphasis of mine is to force people to think uh, how they're going to create value in rare ways, the ways that other people can. And you seem to be naturally born to do that. Oh, well, I don't know if I would ever think of myself like that. I just, so for me, this is how I feel about my project in Congo. There is so much potential. There's so many amazing people. It's an amazing environment. Um, there's art, music, culture, uh, teeming with natural resources, but there's conflict, right? There's, there's not a lot of connectivity there. Um, these are amazing communities that just need a little bit of a hand up. Mm -hmm. um, they, they have everything going for them. They just need to get that connection. And so, you know, I, I'm an ecologist. And so I'm running this entrepreneurship program in Eastern Congo. <laughs> what the heck am I doing? Right. And, uh, I, I had done some research on some hydropower dams that were being put in. And, you know, the idea behind it was that the, the conflict there was over, um, poverty rather than ideology. So if we provide cheap elect electricity, then the conflict will subside. So I remember going around to the communities and talking to youth groups and women's groups, the elders, and saying to them, well, you know, you're getting electricity. What are you going to do with it? And, you know, people would be, um, the first answer I would get would something uh, be something about NGOs coming in and giving jobs, because that's something you see in a lot of places. Um, but that's not really a sustainable way of going forward. Mm -hmm. uh, the second group would say something about, you know, factories are coming in and factories are going to give us all jobs, but there's not enough electricity to really have multiple factories. And there's not even a paved road in this region. Mm -hmm. And then the third group of people would say to me, well, you know, I want to open up a cell phone charging shop or some other little small little entity that they saw need for in their community, but they didn't have any any resources to start it, or they were doing very, very minimal um, 
ways of getting their little business off the ground. And I thought, well, this is the group that we really need to connect with. Mm-hmm. And so I, I took it to all these other uh, entrepreneurship programs and they were like, well, we don't want to work there. No one's going to invest in a place where there's conflict. And I was like, well, this is a chicken egg problem. We, yeah. we have a conflict because of poverty, like we're talking about, but we can't give jobs if we don't invest in business. And so it's sort of been my little journey. And one of the reasons I know you is because I came back and when no one else wanted help with an entrepreneurship program, I said, well, I'll just figure out all these awesome people that are at Texas A&M and um, well, and the Quintanas as well, just working with these amazing people that are here and helping them help me understand what we need to do there and connecting, making all those connections happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been really interesting to to hear about some of these people over there trying to get businesses going. And I, I just think that there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit there based on your stories and your experiences that does need to be supported, does need to be tapped into. And I just think it's really amazing that, you know, you're you're in that position. You've moved yourself into that position to try and help that happen. And and I'll go back to what I said earlier. I mean, you're you're in the process of trying to help other people create value, but in the process, you are creating a lot of value. In, and let's face it, you're probably the one of the few who's trying to do that over there. I mean, you, you found this this very unique, rare set of circumstances where you can bring new knowledge, new uh, potential funding, uh, connections, all that kind of stuff. And, and so it's just this really great story to me of how you're out there developing these really clear, distinctive competencies with great value and rareness um, for you as a person, for the organizations that you're attached to, and for those people over there in Africa. It's, it's really a, a neat story. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, I, I just have really amazing collaborators over there as well. You know, it's, it's really, I'm just a very small little tiny piece of it. It's just really making the connections is how I feel about it. There's this university that I work with there and, and started with another project even before I did the entrepreneurship program with them. And just, that's what I said. There's just such amazing people out there and, and trying to help uh, make the connections. Cause I, I, I think networking and connections um, you know, there's, there's so much underappreciated value in the character of people and, and what they bring to the table and, and the experiences they've gone through and how they can really make something happen just because of who they are. Right. And then you also have, um, with this project around Ebola and everything, you have, a quite a number of students working with you on this project as well. How's that going? Oh my goodness. I'm having so much fun. I love students. Well, okay. The majority of students I love, you know, every now and then you get a little sour <laughs> apple in there. <laughs> Truth be told. But in general, I just, I get so much energy out of my students and I'm so excited about all their ideas. I love trying to see the world through a new perspective and there's nothing like bringing together an interdisciplinary group of students that are both undergraduate and graduates and attracting them to a project called the boom and bust economics of Ebola and see the amazing students you end up with. And so they're doing this. So I'm working with school of innovation at Texas A&M. We were going to go to Rwanda this summer. 
um, to do a workshop so the students could get to meet all the entrepreneurs they've been helping. That's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But other than that, the students have been doing this experience with um, School of Innovation for the entire year uh, of their academic year without credit, without getting paid. You know, we're doing weekly meetings um, and they're doing this just because they're really interested in it. And because of that, you get some amazing students. And I have really, really great students from all across the university, from freshmen to um, graduate level students all working together on this project. Hmm. What are some of the things you you say they come up with interesting ideas? What are some of the things that they've been coming up with that have, have surprised you or thrilled you? Um, well, I think just one of the things that I love and, you know, unfortunately we have this COVID-19 happening right now. Um, but I think the students have a completely different perspective on COVID-19 than a lot of their peers, just because they've been talking about the economic impacts of Ebola in this small little region of Congo. Hmm. And so we, we had a couple meetings, you know, right at the beginning of the year, when we were saying, wow, you know, all the, the misinformation, well, one of the reasons I wanted to start the project is in the news here in the U.S., we kept hearing about, oh, you know, these people, they don't think Ebola's real, they're attacking health workers. I, I felt like they were really putting down a lot of the Congolese local community members. And I think one of the things that we've learned here is you know, you see that happening in the U.S. as well. There's a lot of misinformation. Even in Mexico, there were some attacks on healthcare workers. Um, some of the nurses I saw were getting, you know, yelled at in one of the communities. So just understanding that people are the same around the world. And I think students seeing that and, and being able to reflect on that gave them a more global perspective on things. That's very interesting. Um... Do you think that they were uh, more concerned or less concerned because of that awareness? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. I'm not really sure. I just think that they, we've been talking about it. So I had them interview a lot of my friends. So I have a friend who's a journalist. They, they talked to him, um, another friend who um, is working for the World Health Organization as an interpreter who talked about, you know, what it's like to have outsiders come into your community and um, try and do health care there. Um, had him talk to the, the managers of the entrepreneurship program and just thinking about, so they're, they're tasked with putting together these resilience action plans. So trying to help businesses figure out how do you weather the storm of an emergency response, right? And and the circumstances are quite different in Congo than they are here in the U.S. But the students had been thinking economically about the impact of a major uh, infectious disease event, right? And that's quite different than a hurricane event, earthquake, something like that. An infectious disease is something that has to be managed in a completely different way. So I think the students were already thinking about economic impacts in a way that we hadn't necessarily been at the very beginning when we started talking about um, COVID-19. And then now that the shutdown's happening and all the things that are happening within the stock market and all that, the students are just thinking a lot more about businesses, how businesses can be resilient. How do you, how do you pivot your business? How do you, how do you survive 
when you have such uncertain economic times. Yeah. Interesting. So is that project, um, is it, are you trying to wrap it up this year or is this an ongoing thing? Uh, I, I'm going to be working in Congo for as long as I possibly can. I, um, have invested myself in the project and in people. And I don't want to be one of those groups that go in and leave. Um, so I'm there for the long term. I'm very interested intellectually in what's happening. For my students, we had planned on going in June, and that was going to be the final uh, culmination of the project. We were going to deliver, hand deliver the resilience action plans to the entrepreneurs. I thought it'd be a really cool experience for the entrepreneurs to get to talk yeah. to the student groups and the student groups to get to talk to the entrepreneurs. I was going to have who uh, world health organization uh, officials that we'd been working with in Congo come some other people that come to our annual pandemic summit that the Bush school puts on um, have them all come, but that didn't happen. So what we're doing now is we're putting together the resilience action plans and we're going to email them to the Waukesha, the entrepreneurship program that I run program mm -hmm. directors to hand out to the entrepreneurs. They've been doing interviews over the WhatsApp phone with them. Mm -hmm. We're going to do a policy brief that we're uh, disseminating to some of the emergency health workers and NGOs and USAID, uh, different folks in that world, as well as the FFEC, which is like basically the Chamber of Commerce of Congo and other government officials, giving them sort of a connection of what we learned from the businesses that we talked to and ideas and suggestions for how the government um, and NGOs can support local business. And then we're doing a final project, which is just like a little, we were going to do a podcast in Rwanda. Since we can't do that, we're going to do a little one, like maybe not a podcast now. We're going to do like just a, like a three minute video highlighting what the students learned, um, highlighting the entrepreneurs. So the students can have a little something that, that they can have on their, their resumes to, to show uh, what they did for the year that they spent working on the boom and bust economics of Ebola project. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the entrepreneurs that you worked with over there? What kind of businesses? Well, one of them is one that you will know very well since you were the international mentor for them. Um, one of them is her name um, is Leticia. She has a business called Maracujus, which is passion fruit juice. Mm -hmm. um, and when I first met her, I was just blown away with her creativity and problem solving. She didn't have packaging. So, um, she went to the bar and bought up all the old Heineken bottles, mm -hmm. took them to her house, washed them all, and then filled them up with her own juice and sold them to people on the street. And I just thought that was a really ingenious way. So the students have been talking with her, um, she's actually, I thought this would be a really great opportunity for her to sell her um, juice to all the expats and the foreigners that were coming in to work at the um, Ebola response. She was really worried about her children and her family. So she's well connected within the community. She was able to move to Kinshasa. Um, oh, really? Oh. So she actually, and she doesn't trust giving her recipe to anyone else. So she stopped her business altogether. Oh, that's a shame. So it's a very interesting story, right? Because I really thought that that, could, and she is so passionate. She always wanted to, she always told me she wanted to be, you know, the number one juice seller in all of Africa. And I really believed her. Mm -hmm. But she has like four small children. 
you know, yeah. and Ebola is not like COVID-19. Ebola will affect children easily. And there's a very high death rate once you catch Ebola. Yeah. So, and I also understand that she doesn't have the protections that one might have of their recipe in another part of the world. Right. So if she gave her recipe away, she could have her business taken away from her. So that was one of the interesting lessons learned. Hmm. Um, we had That's another one. I, yeah. I, sorry to interrupt there. I, I did speak with her several times through an interpreter, of course. Uh-huh. And um, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, then she, like you said, she seemed to have a lot of potential and a lot of enthusiasm. And so I'm, I'm just sorry to hear that that didn't work out. But yeah, she has to think about her family. And okay, that's the decision. But I, I think once, well, now COVID-19 is in Congo as well. But once infectious diseases give us a break again in <laughs> Congo, I, I know she wants to start up again. So mm-hmm. it's, it's the long game for her and this business. Mm-hmm. But trying to put together a resilience action plan, you know, these are one of the things you learn. Here's, here's another example of a business that's kind of an opposite. So there's another guy named Gabby. I don't know if you had a chance to meet him. He has um, a business he calls Mount Horeb and it, he breeds chickens. And I went to visit him and it was so much fun. He loves his chickens. He loves his science. He was keeping the most copious notes about every chicken, about temperatures, <laughs> about feed, about water. And he had, he bought so many chickens off our investment. They were living in his bedroom you know in the hallway you know the wife wasn't super happy about it but he brought us all over the house showing chickens everywhere um on the second tranche of the investment he actually pivoted because there was so many expats in the area they were looking for cars and trucks to rent he bought some uh, old cars and trucks and rented them and has made so much money doing that Mm. And that when, and then he's also protected himself because even though he bought, um, even though these people are going to leave once the Ebola crisis is finished, he still has all that capital that he can put into his chicken business. Mm. So he's still doing the chickens, but not all over. Hmm. But also was renting uh, renting vehicles. So, you know, really good. So, you know, originally we invested in chickens, right? We weren't even thinking of how he should use his investment. But he he said, can I use our, your investment in um, cars? And of course, we were like, yes, we want you to be successful. Do it whatever way you need to do it. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, any other of the businesses over there that are particularly... Well, here's a a sad story. I'll go back to sad story. So one of the businesses we have, um, their name is Safisha. Uh, Swahili, uh, Safisha in Swahili is like to clean. Hmm. Um, So they had a cleaning business. And I thought, wow, this is a really good one because Ebola, a lot of it is, you know, fluids. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the the contagious piece. So going into, you know, getting contracts, going in and doing really good cleaning in all these places. This should be a business that thrives during the Ebola response. Well, what we found is that contract, uh, you know, these NGOs would come in and not hire local businesses for cleaning, but contract out and bring outside businesses in huh. to the cleaning. Interesting. Any, any logic behind that? Um, I believe that they didn't feel that the techniques were up 
to the standard that they wanted. But one of the things that the students and I are going to put into our policy brief is, well, instead of like destroying all the local businesses, even if they're not up to your standard, maybe one of the ways moving forward is to contract maybe someone outside, but have them work with the local business, build the capacity of that local business, support the local business. And then when they pull out, then you have that much stronger of a business there. Right. Yeah. Train the people how to do what they need to do. Sure. (laughs) That makes sense. And this is a business that they had gone to Uganda and done training. They bought some of these machines that they'd seen. They, they were really interested and they'd done this far before the Ebola outbreak. So for me, it was a little one of the frustrating things because I thought that would be one of the success stories. Another another negative story is we had, um, well, we ended up not investing in them. We were going to, uh, but it was right before Ebola hit. So I was there in the last summer and the, the Ebola crisis got big in August. So I had just left and there was a little uh, medicine seller lab um, health center, basically. And we decided not to invest in them because then healthcare all became free, right? So all the NGOs came in and they were giving free healthcare. Um, now when they pull out, they've, you know, the, this little business, they went under because they didn't have any business. Obviously, why would you go to the little health center down the street if you can go to the free one from right. the international people? And so now when the NGO pull out, what's going to happen for local healthcare? They've lost just the basic infrastructure there. Hmm. Yeah, that is sad. It's funny how sometimes in the attempt to do something good, you accidentally do something not so good. Yeah. That in economics is referred to as the law of unintended consequences. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that's a a very, very well-known economic principle. Um, so that's a shame. Ah. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's one of those stories, and, I'm, and I don't think this is a novel you know, story even in development because there's do no harm in development, but I think sometimes it gets lost a little bit. So that's one of the things the students have learned. And you know, I think as they go on in their lives and they think about what's happening with COVID-19 and they think about businesses and development, they'll think about those things even a little more critically. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad that there are lessons that are being learned by some people through this. But yeah, that is sad that, well, as I said, people come in and they try to do something good, but those unintended consequences can lead to very long-term, not so good outcomes. That's a yeah. shame. But if we can take the lessons learned and then just keep thinking about them and incorporating them as we move forward, then hopefully we will end up with you know, better and better. You know, and I think development overall, we, we end up with better ways of dealing with things. But, you know, there's certain things that are always going to stay the same. And you just got to be aware of them and, and cognizant of them while you're doing interventions, whether it's COVID-19 or Ebola. Right. So how many students have you had working with you on these projects? Oh, well, I, I also did a capstone at the Bush School with um, students on Waukesha, the entrepreneurship program. I did that, what, two years ago? I think you guest lectured in that one as well, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I did interact with them a little bit, yeah. Yeah, because we used V-Real 
for the text in that class and all the students got up to speed on that. And actually one of those same students that was in um, the capstone, she's now working on her master's in public health. She's also on the Ebola uh, boom and bust economics project. Oh, good. Yeah. Well, so have you worked with, I mean, is this dozens of students now that you've worked with on these? Yeah. Well, the School of Innovation, we started off with 25. It whittled over time. So we're down to 10, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of students left not left, but with, when it went to all online, we lost some students and, you know, after the first semester we lost a couple, but yeah, so definitely we've probably had over 40 students I've had helping me with, with this project. And that's not even counting all the Congolese students. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, well, how many are over there? Yeah. Well, I work with, so I'm always trying to pair with someone else. Uh, And so we work with the Christian Bilingual University of Congo. Mm -hmm. And so we work with students there as interpreters um, and also recent graduates. We hire them to do a lot of the the program management for Wakisha. Hmm. Quite a little ecosystem that you have developed here. so much fun you get all these different brains working together and coming up with like really cool approaches okay so i've got to ask um since you brought it up has vreal helped you through all of this oh yes it's definitely like i told you i'm an ecologist i've worked with you know gorillas and and lizards and snakes you know (laughs) thinking about business and all that's pretty new to me and um V-Real really helped me think about, you know, value and, and approaches and, and strategies for working in a completely different environment than the U.S. Uh-huh. And the students that have been exposed to it, has it tended to help them since most of them are not from business backgrounds? <laughs> for sure. Yeah. In my, in my boom and bust class, we finally get some uh, economics students in there. But yeah, it has been a really good primer for helping focus students on, on business thinking. Mm-hmm. Good. I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I, I do remember interacting with that one group a couple of years ago and I was I was hopeful that it was giving them some language and key ideas that would help them not just with that particular educational effort there, but as they went forward. So I'm glad to hear that you think it's been helpful. That's good. Oh yeah, it's it's de- one of my students. She's definitely she's talked about Be Real quite a bit with me since then. Good. Good. So I just want to thank you so much for always being so supportive of all my crazy plans and my crazy student classes and, and guest lecturing and helping all the ways you do. Well, I wish I could do more. Um, I feel like I spend more time sending you emails saying, sorry, I can't be there than I actually do anything else. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to help in your efforts there. And as I said before, I think you've really created um, some key distinctive competencies for creating value there that are just really great. Um, now, I, I do want this conversation, if, if you're you know, in that place, to be not just a, a monologue you know, with you talking all the time and answering my questions. Are there any questions in my direction or anything that you wanna talk about that we haven't talked about thus far? Oh my gosh, I have a billion questions for you. Are you sure you want to open up this bag of worms? (laughs) Well, okay, try and narrow it down a little bit. (laughs) Something under a billion. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I am just, I am completely fascinated by this idea of business resiliency, right? Uh-huh. And all these uncertain environments. And it just, you know, like Congo, poor Congo. You know, we, we were just getting ready to call the end of Ebola. And I was excited about going there this summer. And I didn't think, you know, it was one year. I figured one year we can recover from that. Now we've got COVID-19. Um, right. We had just had our first in, uh, international investment, uh, you know, a multi-million dollar investment in one of our very first companies. Um, now we have COVID-19 happening. Right. All this uncertainty, you know, we don't even have the resources to share that we, we had before when it was just uh, Congo that was hit by Ebola. What are some of your ideas on, on businesses surviving and being resilient in, in this world where um, it's not just one region, it's the whole world that's being hit? Yeah, well, gee, that was a small question. <laughs> <laughs> you said narrow it down. I wanted to start big. Um, you know, I think many people are trying to answer that question that you just asked. Yeah. Um, I think many people all around the world are trying to answer that question. Um, I just keep coming back when, when people have asked me something like that or similar to that. I keep coming back to the same underlying foundational principle that I have worked from for a lot of years. And that is the world is a dynamic place and things change. And that means today is is never going to happen again. Tomorrow is going to look different. Now we've had a, a really big change and a really fast change. And I don't know who came up with that quote first, but it's been flying around for years of there are decades when nothing happens and then there are weeks when decades happen, right? Yeah. Um, And we just went through some weeks when it felt like decades happened and we're still going through that. Um, So you come back to that, that basic thought that you have to create value. And there are always opportunities to create value. The world changes. That means there will be new opportunities. We don't necessarily know what they look like immediately. In fact, usually we don't. But like your entrepreneur there who was raising chickens and suddenly realized uh, the world's changed and they want to rent vehicles, so I'm going to rent them vehicles, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's that same process. And unfortunately, it is stressful. And for some people, it is extremely scary. But that's what we do. I mean, that's the normal thing that we do as humans. We look for new opportunities to create value for other people. And so, okay, the conditions have changed. I have to learn new things. I have to think in different ways. I have to understand how new pain points have arisen, how new opportunities to give people um, positive things have arisen. Uh, and, And you just adapt and you have to you don't have to like it, but you have to adapt to that and you just have to move forward. And there's a a little degree of trust, but it's trust based on, well, thousands of years of human history. And the trust is there will be opportunities to create new value. There just will be. And, um, you know, you see that over there in Africa, you see people getting creative about 
well, I, I don't have packaging, but there's that bar over there that has empty bottles, you know? So it's, it's just coming back to the fundamentals, getting past the shock, getting past the grief, getting past uh, the fear and returning to that fundamental of, okay, I got to figure out how to create new value in the world under these conditions. And then, of course, you know, I'm, I'm going to go right to the rest of the V-Real framework, you know, understanding how I'm going to do that with rare resources and capabilities and create distinctive competencies and how I'm going to think about the things that are going to work against me, those eroding factors and prioritize them and think about the enablers that I'm going to put in place to help me move forward and stop those eroding factors and think about the longevity issues of what I'm doing. You know, is this something that is going to be good for the next week or until over there in Africa, until the NGOs leave and then I got to pivot and do something else. I mean, you know, it, it just comes back to those fundamentals over and over and over again. And I, I'm sorry to sound like a broken record about that, but the principles don't change. The foundation doesn't change. The, the details that are built and from which you build on that foundation can change dramatically and they have, but the foundation doesn't change. Sounds like it's very good what you created, this V Real business. Sticks through with COVID-19. <laughs> well, you know, the, the goal there is to get people to focus on those foundational concepts, those foundational things that you need to just keep in mind. And it's not complicated the details can become extremely complicated as yeah. you, you know, rigorously think about them and try and make things happen. But, you know, stick to the principles, stick to the foundations and, and circle back to them and make sure that you're not losing sight of them. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think one of the things is people don't understand their own value and their own creativity. And, and how valuable that is. That's right. Um, I think I have known a number of people in my life who I was, I was shocked that they didn't understand how creative and innovative they actually were. I can think of two in particular, whom I will not name, <laughs> but I can think of two in particular that I kind of had to sit them down at one point and say, I don't know what you're thinking about yourself, but <laughs> um, here's what I see, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that people underestimate their, their capabilities far too frequently. I think people underestimate their creativity. I think they underestimate the value of the relationships that they have already in their lives with other people. I think they underestimate um, the connections that they have through other people. Um, I think there's just a lot of underestimation that goes on in the minds and emotions of a lot of people. And so trying to, to move them beyond that is sometimes step one. When, how do you do that? Um, I think you know, that can vary a great deal based on the individual. Um, sometimes it may be sitting them down and having the kind of conversation that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it might be 
giving them, if you're in the position to do so, giving them opportunities to do something, learn something, and encourage them through that and let them see that they can be successful and applaud them for that and begin to, to build that inside of them. Um, I think sometimes it can be a, a simple and it, well, maybe simple is not the right word there, but a relatively straightforward educational process of allowing people to see what is possible that they perhaps just did not see before. Um, you know, I, I have known some students over my decades of being in the classroom that because of their backgrounds, they just simply had no idea what the possible career options were for them, mm. or for that matter, what kind of entrepreneurial options were there for them, and had at least a little bit of a of a role in helping them learn something new or see something new where they went, really? That's, that's possible. <laughs> you know, and you go, yes, that's possible, you know, and then off they go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just to give you kind of a, a, a funny little example, uh, you know, I have led a number of study abroad trips over the years from Texas A&M. And there was young one woman that went on one of my study abroad trips to Africa. And she had, I think she had been outside of the U.S. before, but, you know, not not really. And she went on that trip and she came back and she developed this realization that it was not that hard to go visit other places in the world. And it, 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 it ignited a passion in her for that. And today, that's her job. She is a professional social media international traveler who blogs and you know, represents products and things like that. And she's traveled all over the world now you know, with pictures of her doing this and that and all this kind of, it's, it's crazy how that one study abroad trip opened up something to her that she had never seen before. I love that story so much. Good for her and good for you for opening up her mind to it. Yeah, it was, that's one of those things that I, you know, every time I think about, I just kind of smile. (laughs) Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Okay, here's another one for you. What do you think some of those things that I could do for, you know, the entrepreneurs in Congo? You know, you were able to, you know, have this really cool opportunity for the student that really changed her trajectory. Do you have ideas? I mean, I know you haven't been there with me yet, but you're going to come one day. I promise. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> but do you have any ideas like what I could do? That because that's what I really want to do is I, I want to help make these people that I'm I'm working with help them really expand their horizons and see something bigger. Yeah, I. I hesitate to offer any specific ideas because I haven't been there. I haven't interacted with the people and seen the conditions and everything, but I guess I would go back to um, those three things that I just mentioned, which, you know, I haven't thought really rigorously about this, so there's probably more than three, but 
but if you have the kind of relationships with people where having a conversation with them about who they are and what you see in them and 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 getting them to hear that and understand that and to believe you and trust uh, could be you know a key thing to do another thing which i think you are already doing to a certain extent through your projects is giving people an opportunity to do something, learn something, be successful, see that they can be successful, get them started on that trajectory of thinking that, hey, I, I can do things. And then of course, the third thing being, okay, how can, I, how can I give these people information that they don't presently have access to that will open up those, those new horizons to them? You know, what can I, show them how can i show them what is possible um that that they're not seeing at this point you know those are the three yeah. things that i'd come back to i just don't know the details of right. of how to make that happen and it's definitely not everybody because you have definitely got some huge dreamers there you know it's just you know people are the same all over i mm -hmm. just really want to figure out like what what are the most impactful things that we can do to really you know, Wakisha is ignite, right? Ignite the people that are, you know, or there's already people on fire, right? That have all these amazing ideas and drive and all that. What I just really want to do is figure out how to connect them to the broader world. That, that was the whole idea behind Leopard's Lair and, you know, doing the investment in the companies is really trying to level that playing field. So everyone um, living in this small community in Eastern Congo uh, would have the same experience with trying to start a business, not same experience, but similar experience to what it would be anywhere else in the world. You know, mm -hmm. trying to think of, you know, angel investors or, you know, selling the business, getting that pitch out there. So you have mm -hmm. people that are going to invest that sort of thing. Yeah. And I, you know, from everything that I have heard and learned from interacting with you, I, I think what you're doing is probably what you should be doing. Um, again, because I haven't been there, I haven't interacted directly with the people very much, except over the internet with Letitia there a little bit and all. Um, I, I hesitate to try and leap into grand ideas about details about how to do that. But, you know, the concepts of what you're doing, the basics of what you're doing, I think have, have been on track for sure. Well, that's, that's nice to hear. I actually had Jose and Joan and Marie, they sat in on uh, my first leopard's lair. We, they, uh, was it Skype or something? I can't remember WhatsApp. They, they were able to listen to part of the leopard's lair. It was so much fun. <laughs> By the way, you mentioned, which I had not heard until our conversation right now, oh. that you had a multi-million dollar investment coming in there? Yes. Our, wow. One of our very first companies in our, in our first cohort was, it was called Kivu Green Energy back then, and it was a little solar company. Mm -hmm. I remember that, yeah. And that is the one. We got a really big uh, infusion of funds. They bought us out, the Wakisha, and now they're you know, one of our models. And it's the very first example of outside investment, we believe, in the entire province. Wow. That's great. That's yeah. really great. I, after we finish our conversation, I may want to talk to you some more about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and now, well, so, you know, we've moved down. It's been renamed Nuru. I've learned a lot 
uh, you know, last time I was, so last summer I ended up going to Nairobi instead of going to, well, no, I did it anyway. I didn't, oh, I know what, I did it for spring break last year. Mm-hmm. I couldn't go to Congo. So I went to Nairobi and met with like a bunch of folks there that are so exciting, excited about investing in Congo now. Great. That's really exciting. I, I, I do want to talk to you more about that after we finish yeah. our today. And actually, it is probably getting time to wind this up. Um, so are there any last minute ideas, thoughts that you would like the people listening to our conversation um, to, to hear, to remember, to think about? And also, um, how would anybody who wants to get in touch with you track you down? Ah, yeah. Well, I just feel so lucky to be in this amazing, going back to your word, ecosystem uh, at Texas A&M and Bryan College Station. I have learned so much about business. I have the most amazing mentors. You are one. Uh, Joan and Jose are also t- you know, a couple others. Dr. Lester. Um, there's been so many amazing folks here at the Texas A&M College Station area that have helped me and supported me with trying to support this program over in Congo. So I feel so lucky to be able to bring all these worlds together with students, faculty, you know, business people, entrepreneurs in Congo. So I just feel really lucky to be able to do that. And I'm really easy to find. Uh, <laughs> my last name is Rule, R-U-Y-L-E. Uh, and my email address is just R-U-Y-L-E at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. So if you look up Leslie Rule, there's not many, uh, I don't think there's, I think there might be one other Leslie Rule in the whole world, but you'll usually <laughs> find me. And if it's me holding an animal, it's definitely me. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, there just might be somebody who listens to this podcast and wants to know more about what you're doing over there in Congo and and maybe is even interested in investing over there. Who knows? Yeah, well, uh, investing is one of the ways. And if you just want to be an international mentor, like I said, I've you know all the people I mentioned have been international mentors, and it's just another way to give that connection to to people in Congo on another resource. So, right. you know, if anyone's interested in being an international mentor, we would love to recruit you to be part of the program. That would be great if we got a few more people who were willing to do that because of this podcast. That would be great. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for that opportunity. (laughs) Okay. Well, once again, I am really glad we had this opportunity to record today. I'm sorry that we have to do it over the internet instead of being in the same room, but um, oh, well, that's the world that we live in. (laughs) Right. Pivot, pivot, pivot. (laughs) yes I get to wear yoga pants that's the bonus (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) all right well it's been great talking to you Leslie and stay well out there and I guess I need to track you down and talk to you some more about some of these things that I hadn't heard about yet (laughs) sounds fantastic thank you so much I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you okay Talk to you later. All right. Ciao. That was a fantastic conversation. Leslie is amazing. <laughs> She's a lot of fun. And I, I always 
learn something new about her background every time I'm in a situation where she's trying to tell about her background. I, I think she just has details hidden in her pockets somewhere. <laughs> yeah, she's very humble. You know, she gives so much credit uh, away, which is just, just so endearing, but she has done a lot and in a lot of places around the world. I really enjoyed listening to her conversation, to your conversation with her, and it couldn't be more timely. This work that she's doing with the student group on resilience action plans is really interesting. Yeah, it is. And the the things that those students have been thinking about in terms of well, exactly how does the medical response and economic response of these people coming into Congo, you know, how does that reshape the community? How does it reshape the economy? And then what kind of unintended consequences happen? And then what happens when it goes away? I mean, those are all things that are very applicable to think about underneath the COVID conditions that we're in right now and, and the way that the world is going to try and come out of that. Right. It's so interesting to me. I, I really want to find some of those students. If they're not going to be continuing work um, in this capacity with this particular project, which I would imagine Leslie will find a way to work with them going forward, but really an opportunity to get them to shift their focus and, and look sort of closer to home, right? Yeah, could be. Could be a good idea. Really relevant, interesting um, experience that they've had. I suspect some of those students are going to look back and find that that was very formative. I would, I would say that's a good, safe bet. <laughs> really interesting. So, you know, as I was listening to the conversation, I'm always trying to identify those key takeaways that we want to encourage our, our listeners to, to take with them as they wrap up listening to the podcast and are chewing on all of this information. And there was so much here that I was really having a hard time nailing it down to any particular thing. But one thing that comes to mind is, is in creating value, you always have to find the opportunity to be rare, right? Using your vernacular with the V-Rail framework. And I found it really interesting that Leslie has built her career by deciding to go into the gap areas where nobody else was doing the work, right? Yeah. Nobody else was working with, what were they, iguanas? Is that the thing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, and so she worked with the iguanas and, and nobody else was working in these really hard places like Congo. Um, and so, and Rwanda. And so she's like, well, I'm going to go work in the heart. Nobody else is working there. So there's an opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. That is brilliant. Yeah. She just intuitively does that. You know, that's the kind of thing that I try to help people think about doing. And a lot of people, maybe even the majority of people, I mean, I don't know, but you know, they have a hard time thinking about going on the path that not everybody else is taking. And she just does it intuitively. I mean, you know, she sees that opportunity and goes for it. Yeah, it's really, it's really brilliant. And it has made for a, an incredible career. And she's getting started, really. She's just pretty early in her career still. So I also was pretty 
intrigued by the conversation about NGOs and unintended consequences and really some damage that can be done in these developing countries where things are already so hard and they're trying to have these startup companies and services and whatnot, and then something bad happens, NGOs come in to help, and they destroy any progress that was made. Um, that is a serious eroding factor. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that that happens uh, more often than you might think. Um, I mean, I'm aware of several different areas of the world where that kind of thing has happened. Um, you know, the, the best kind of economic growth, the best kind of, of business entrepreneurship environment is the kind that can develop on its own from internal resources. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't, you know, trade and interact with others outside of your particular area. But, but if you don't have that solid foundation and all of a sudden uh, external players come in and they have a lot of money and other resources. And as we mentioned in the conversation, different standards and everything, it can, it can sort of crush that natural business entrepreneurship environment that really needs to be there. Um, you know, not to go off too far into the weeds, but you know, there's something called the curse of oil out there in the world that many countries that have had large oil deposits have had their economic health severely impaired because the the attention of the world and the investment of the world comes in to take that particular resource and a, a healthy vibrant diverse economy never develops and in a sense what happens in these health situations where organizations like who and others are coming in it's almost the same sort of problem. Uh, they come in with a lot of money, with a lot of investment. I'm putting that in air quotes as I say it. And um, they drive out the opportunity to do other things and develop a healthy little natural economy. What's the saying? Like necessity is the mother of innovation? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, and you yeah. don't, and, and the thing is, that can that can come across as dispassionate or or not wanting to help, but quite the opposite is true. The other sort of thing that's often said is like you know, give a man a fish or teach a man a fish to fish, right? And right. and I thought that that part of your conversation where she told sort of the sad story of the NGOs not hiring local the local cleaning company. Um, is was a real big missed opportunity for local development and again probably made in in pure intention that that decision that you know we're we're in an emergency situation we need to um come in here and stand up an operation quickly we need to ensure the safety of the people all of those things really really well intended but it's great that Leslie and her team of students are coming behind and making these policy recommendations so that next time maybe they'll have some funding to to train up those local businesses so that they are ready to stand up and at least support um, those other entities that would come in on an emergency basis. Mm -hmm. 
But your point a little bit earlier about eroding factors coming from interesting directions that maybe you don't normally think about. Um, yeah, I, I do want people to, to hear that. Uh, the fact that eroding factors, the things that are going to work against you in this world, uh, work against your ability to, to pursue an opportunity, create value, do it in rare ways and so forth. Um, you know, those, those can be very sneaky and sometimes something that looks really good and might be really good to others is actually a huge eroding factor for you. And, and so thinking outside the box, thinking creatively um, about how those circumstances around you can affect you as an eroding factor or as an enabling factor. We didn't talk about enabling factors very much, but um, you know, it's very situationally dependent. It can be very uh, specific to you as an individual, to you as a business, to you as a not-for-profit. And, and you just have to, you have to think kind of creatively about where those are coming from, whether they're eroders or enablers, and, and again, how they're going to be able to hurt or help you. Yeah, it's really the critical thinking component of this. I love this example or the multiple examples in this conversation with Leslie because it really speaks to how important it is either as an entrepreneur or as a policymaker in a, in a given municipality or government to really think through um, eroding factors that can come at so many different directions and understand that an enabler, something that might appear to be an enabler for right now could be really, really destructive and eroding in the long term. Um, that kind of critical thinking is so, so very important. And, and how encouraging that Leslie is working with these students and getting them exposed to these hard situations and circumstances, because what they're learning is going to help them make great decisions and think things through in any aspect of their lives. I think that's probably correct. Yeah. Um, one other thing that we talked about, which she, you know, she asked me about, you know, how to help people move forward and everything. I, I hope that, again, I, I didn't try to give real specific details. I just gave three very general sort of recommendations there about you know, conversations with people and and supporting people, giving them tasks, helping them be successful in things, and then trying to educate them and open their eyes um, to what's possible. Uh, you know, I, I hope people listening to the podcast maybe will hang on to those a little bit too. Um, yeah, I, I just hope that people understand that there are always opportunities and you just have to keep thinking and looking and realizing that the world tomorrow does not look like today. It, it's going to be different. So get out there and go after it. Yeah, that's, that's a great, that's a great takeaway that um, even in the most challenging of times, there's, there's an opportunity for exchange. There's something that you can offer that somebody else needs uh, that will allow you to create value in the world. And, and, and we just need that. We say this all the time. When the world needs more value creators, there has never been a truer statement than right now.
Yeah, and it's exciting to hear about the people over there in Congo that that want that. You know, they they want to come up with new business ideas and and improve their lives and the lives of their families and everything. So it's really encouraging to hear about that little corner of the world and how excited are the people uh, can be. I love that those of us in the developed world have the opportunity to learn so much from a little corner of the world that has so much less than we do. Yeah. There's something kind of beautiful about that. Well, what a great conversation. So I want to encourage our listeners to, um, as you always say, keep thinking, especially in this time when things are really just dynamic and kind of changing all the time, but we've entered into a, a new world. And there is always opportunities, as you said, David, to create value, but it takes some thinking through and it takes some kind of getting creative and imagining and, and evaluating. And so there's tools on our website at valuecreationco.com that you can download for free, some worksheets to think through your ideas or maybe your existing business that needs to pivot um, and also even your own personal career. So you can B-roll yourself, your business, your idea. There's worksheets there for that. And also right now, as the world is going through a, a crisis of unprecedented proportion. Um, David has made available on Value Creation Co. our, our video-based workshop, uh, Strategic Thinking for Business Leaders and also Strategic Thinking for Nonprofit Leaders. Both of those are available for free now um, to help you think things through. So go to valuecreationco.com, follow us on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter and just keep thinking things through and be encouraged. There is always an opportunity to create value in the world. Okay. Well, it was another good conversation. I, I do enjoy getting to talk with Leslie from time to time. So uh, with that, we will wrap up today's podcast. And as Joan said, until the next time, keep thinking. Bye. Bye.